0: always interesting to be be away and watch the live stream. <laughs> be thinking, ah, oh, I should be there. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to get away for a couple weeks. The family and I really enjoyed it. And <clears throat> I, I watched you had some uh, good preaching while I was gone. Peter and and Alex did a good job. Oh, and I want to uh, make sure we're, we're dismissing children's uh, Sunday school at this time, primary school kids, if you'd like to have your kids in the Sunday school, they are uh, dismissed at this time. So, if you will, turn on me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John. Now, as you know, my family and I recently had the opportunity to, to go to, as uh, some of you know anyway, Mount Remarkable. And it was Remarkable. It's the southern Flinders Ranges, and we had a great time. It was a beautiful area of South Australia. Now, one day we went for a drive, and we drove uh, from where we were camping up to a little town of Wilmington, and, and uh, then started back, and on a whim, I saw this sign that said, Overlook, and I said, well, let's go, and I just turned. And after about five or six kilometers of driving, on you know, this dirt road, I, I looked over at Beth, and I said, this better be worth it. I kept driving, and after another couple kilometers, it, it opened up to the top of this hill, and it was just breathtaking. It's called Hancock's Lookout, if any of you know where that is, and it's well worth the drive, and you could see the, the hills slope down in front of us. You could hit, see the, the Gulf of St. Lawrence in the background. You could almost see Port Augusta. You could almost see Port Perry. It was just a beautiful, beautiful overlook, beautiful sight. Just, you see, the, the, the just breathtaking sight. Well, when it comes to what we're going to be talking about today, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, John wants you to be awed, to take your breath away by the majesty, the glory, the power that is Jesus Christ. John wants you to see Jesus Christ for who He truly is, and that's God. You see, Moses desired his readers to be awed by the power and majesty of God in creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in the beginning, but John desires the same thing and he uses the same phrase in the beginning. John wants you to see that the beginnings of the Son of God were not at His incarnation as described in Matthew and Luke's Gospels or with His public ministry, like Mark's gospel, but rather the true beginnings of the good news of Jesus Christ is he found in eternity past. John wants us to see Jesus' glory that was before the incarnation. You see, John's gospel is often called the holy of holies because Jesus' his glory is in full display. We are like the high priest of old. We're able to enter in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, and behold the glory of God. See, John is beginning with the heavenly story of Jesus, the supernatural view of Christ, and his aim is to convince the sinner of the true person and nature of Jesus Christ. To have salvation, you must believe in the true Christ. Here on November 1st, the day after Martin Luther began the Protestant Reformation, on October 31st and 1517, we fight the same battle as he. We are still reforming. True biblical faith is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Anything less than this or anything added to this is false. It's a lie against the truth. It's anathema. It's a false gospel. You must believe in the true Christ, not the misrepresentation of Christ in our culture, saying that He's a good person. You must not believe in the human tradition about Christ or human philosophy about Christ or any false religion that claims to know Christ. John begins here with the deity of Jesus Christ. So make no mistake, misconceptions about Christ are false. And John wants to make sure that you understand the truth. He lays out Jesus' majesty and His power here at the very beginning of this gospel. The words should be burned into your minds as you constantly remember these words as we go through this gospel. Today we're going to see... Really, we're going to see one of John's declarations. There's two in verses 1 through 5. We'll get to the second one next week. But the first declaration of Jesus is that Jesus is the eternal Word of God. We're going to see the eternality of the Word, the presence of the Word, and the person of the Word in verses 1 through 2 this morning. Let's go ahead and look down at the text and then we'll dig in. So, the first thing we're going to deal with this morning, or the first declaration that John makes, is that Jesus is the eternal Word of God, okay? Notice that John says, in the beginning, what does that remind you of, right? You immediately should be thinking Genesis, and that's John's point. In the beginning, word there in the Greek for beginning is arche, it also can be defined as the origin of all things. And so when John says the the origin, in the the beginning, before there was time, there was the Word. You see, the Word was at creation. And if the Word was at creation, then He could not have been created. Simple logic, right? You plant a tree, and it grows up, and you were there at its creation then you're obviously older than that tree. You see, the beginning is a—it's an absolute fixed point in time. Jesus is the origin of that fixed point in time. When you think about the beginning of this world, this universe, that cosmological point, Jesus was there at the beginning. He was present. He's not a created being. He, he's beyond all time beyond all history, and has no point of origin. And John says, in the beginning. You see, he's in the beginning with God. You see, if Christ was not present in eternity past, then He was a created being, and the cults are right. John says that in the beginning was the Word. If the Word was in the beginning, then He is not dependent on, own another for His existence. He is self-existent. We are all dependent upon another for our existence, right? We have mothers and fathers, and we're also dependent upon God Himself for life. But Christ, the Word, is not dependent. He's self-existent. Now, originally, I was trying to alliterate, because every good preacher tries to alliterate, and I was going with pre-existence and presence and person, and it sounded really good, but pre-existence is not accurate. You often see that term and hear that term used about Jesus Christ, but pre-existence is not entirely correct because the cults, and specifically the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses would readily agree that Jesus was pre-existent. They say He pre-existed creation, in fact, Arius, in his controversy, reached a climax at the Council of Nicaea in A.D. 325. And Arius taught that Christ was the first and graded, greatest excuse me, of all created spirits. And he believed in the preexistence of Christ. But he would not, and the cults would not, hold to Jesus Christ's eternality. There's a difference. So Jesus is both preexistent and eternal. And that's the dividing line. You have Mormons come to your door and, oh, I want to talk to you about the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? It's not a church. You just hit them with the fact that Jesus was eternal. Jesus is God. And then that immediately, they'll argue that point. You see, John says, in the beginning was... Was the word. And what's interesting, when you dig into the Greek, John uses two words for was. I know it's very exciting. But he uses these two words, and he uses them in different contexts to convey different aspects. In this particular context, he wants to convey existence. In other words, I'm trying to show you that he's being very specific with his wording. So he wants to make sure that he honors the majesty and glory of who Jesus is. A word was here signals existence. The Word has always existed, and there was never a time when He did not exist. Mormons, Christadelphians, Jehovah's Witness, they all deny this truth about Jesus. They proclaim a false Christ. Christ Jesus is eternal. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He did not come into existence. The Word has always existed with the Father, with the Spirit, in perfect Trinitarian union. And John is drawing out the two aspects or two persons of the Trinity in this particular verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. If He was in the beginning, He had to be God. We follow the simple logic that John is throwing out for us. So you get to see the eternality of the Word of God, eternality of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And John continues, and he said, the Word was with God. The Word was with God. The Word with there, also in the Greek, and I know I'm hitting you a lot of Greek, but it's important so that any of those cults come into you and try to say that this doesn't mean what it actually says, you can say, no, that's a lie. But John says, the Word was with God. Literally, it means it's prostantheion. It's a term in Scripture that has to deal with in front of, before, in the face of. If you're in the face of someone, if you're with someone, then John is implying personhood. right? If I'm with my wife, it implies an intimacy, it implies a personhood. And that's what John is pointing out. The word was with God. It's a, it's a presence, a relationship, an intimacy, a fellowship. That's what theon means. It, it shows that Christ is the same essence of the Father. The same. He's, a, he's a different person in the sense that He has different personality, and there are three persons of the Trinity, but they're all equal in essence. But it shows a, a relationship, an intimacy in the face of God, in the, in the front of God, a fellowship with God. It's a perfect intimacy among the Godhead a perfect contentment, a perfect satisfaction that they had with each other before time. And we have to be careful when we're talking about these things. John Calvin actually says we ought to be sober in our thinking and modest in our speaking about such high mysteries that we are careful to, to try to over, uh, oversimplify these things. Or try to explain them in terms that don't actually represent the Godhead. But John is saying here the Word was with God. I'd like to show you a few passages where prostantheion is used so you can see this intimacy. If you'll flip over to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul is telling the Philippians, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The word there, know, or that phrase known to God is theon." In other words, when you pray, he said in verse 6, be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Take, take your, your worries and your cares to God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. In other words, take it to God and know that you're taking it literally to the face of God. Prostanteon. An intimacy, a fellowship that you have in Jesus Christ. Flip over, if you will, again, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Ikea, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. When he says your faith toward God, is prostantheon. Their, their faith is in not just a religious tradition. It's their faith towards God in an intimate, personal way it 's an intimacy in that fellowship, their faith towards God. a couple more, first John with me, turn to first John First John chapter two, verse one, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate, proston Patio here. Same idea. Instead of proston Theon, Theon is God. With the Father. It's, it's an intimacy. We have an advocate that is before the face of the Father continually. So if you sin and you confess your sins, you have Jesus Christ who is, who is intimately before the Father that says, no, He is righteous. She is righteous through my blood. Then look over in John first John chapter one, verse one. What we have heard, or sorry, what we what was from the beginning See him echoing his gospel. What was from the beginning we have heard and we have seen with our eyes and we have looked at and we have touched with our hands concerning what? Concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and we testify and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was what? Proston Patie, which was with the Father and is manifested with us. And we have seen and we have heard and we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have what? Fellowship with us. And indeed, our what? Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So in, a, in an aspect of the prostante and the fellowship of, of Christ with the Father, we partake of a fellowship with God the Father and through God the Son. We have that intimate fellowship. Now, it's not the equal intimate fellowship that the Godhead shares, but we share a fellowship. Jesus says we are His friends. Right? We are adopted sons and daughters of God. And so we have that fellowship through Jesus Christ, a taste of the fellowship. among the Trinity that's an agape love between themselves and shared among us. So I wanted you to see that there's an intimate fellowship among the members of the Trinity. When John said the Word was with God, this is a loaded phrase. And if you're you're Greek readers at this time, you would have read that and you would have been what? wow, the English kind of doesn't go into, into that great depth that we get from some of the Greek. See, you have great fellowship. The Word was with God. And the Word was in the beginning, right? Follow John's logic. The Word was in the beginning... Before all time, for all history, and the Word was with God in intimate fellowship, then what's the conclusion? Jesus Christ is God. And in case you miss it, and the Word was God, the very next phrase. John is making it absolutely clear. He wants to be there. There are no doubts as we go into his gospel who the Word is, who Jesus is. Speaking to someone this week, and they were telling me about their past experiences in church and the denomination that denies the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, well Peter's whole argument in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, his whole argument rests on his, his last few phrases where he says, Jesus Christ, the man you killed, God raised from the dead, and he's exalted to the right hand of the Father. His whole argument rests on the resurrection. The resurrection adds weight to the words of Jesus Himself where He declares Himself to be God. See, Jesus is the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word is an intimate fellowship with God in the beginning. It's this Word that we've placed our faith and trust in. It is through Him that we have fellowship With God, we have fellowship with each other. Without Christ, we would just be a social club. How sad would that be? With our identity caught up in so many other things, like our past or our ethnicity or what country we came from, all that is is gone. We have a new identity in Christ, an identity that we'll share for all eternity, regardless of our past, all our past associations and our past things we identified with. So John wants you to see the eternality of the Word. He wants you to see the the presence of the Word. But he also wants you to see the person of the Word. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wow, the person of the Word. Well, when he says the Word, the Word here, literally, the Word for the Word, is logos, okay? Now, the Greeks would have understood this this logos as an outward expression, right? It can be translated and is translated even extra-biblical writings as speech or, or message. So it's accurately translated word here because John really has more of an Old Testament idea when he uses this word. But see, the Greeks believed the logos spirit it was a it was a spirit a, a non-personal entity it was an abstract principle of order they actually called it reason it was it was non-personable you, you couldn't ha- they understood that there had to be something beyond and beyond creation even above their so-called gods and they they had this idea that the source of that was the logos it was a, a non-personal force that was responsible for the world and responsible for the cosmos Well, to the Greeks, John was introducing them to the fact that the Logos was not an impersonal force, but a personal God named Jesus Christ. For... The Jews who were reading this, they would have had the idea of the Logos is, is the Word of God was, was, a, was from the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, whenever you read of God coming to a prophet, what is, it, what is one thing you always see in that phrase, and the Word of the Lord said to so-and-so, and the Word of the Lord came to so-and-so. You see, the Word of God is God's self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation, You see, the Old Testament is the written Word and revelation of God. The New Testament is the account of the incarnate Word, Jesus Christ. In Christ, Christ is the ultimate culmination of God's revelation to man. When Christ speaks, He's speaking the words of God. He's revealing who God is, and He's revealing His will to us. You see, Christ is the greatest expression of God's will, right? Why did Christ come? We came to die, right? God's self-revelation. For God so loved the world, right? We have that as a, a revelation. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. If you want to know God, you must know Christ. That's John's point. The word is the greatest self-disclosure about God himself. Jesus tells his disciples later on, they say, show us the Father. And he says, have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. The great thing about this term that John appropriates, the term logos, is he doesn't appropriate it from a Greek standpoint, he, he, he gets it appropriated more from a, a Jewish Old Testament point, but he spends the rest of the book, rest of the gospel, explaining what he means by the word. That's a great thing we have to look forward to as we, we see a glimpse and a picture of who Jesus is. Hopefully you're comforted by that and challenged by that. See, Jesus in all, well, in a great picture of His glory, not all His glory. In Hebrews, book of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, In many portions, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. And when He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God has spoken to us through his Son. He's the Word of God. And if you don't respond to that Word, if you don't respond to Jesus Christ, in John chapter 3, verse 34, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Verse 35: The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. See, Jesus, or John wants us to see the person of the Word. The person of the Word is Jesus Christ, He is God. He's addressing the fact that He is deity. Now, the Jehovah's Witness in their false translations like to add that the Word was a God. Add that article in there. But the Greek doesn't, doesn't, doesn't deal with that. Excuse me, the Greek doesn't say that that's the way it should be. It's literally when you have a predicate. In Greek, you, you put the predicate at the beginning of the sentence to emphasize it. So really, in the Greek, it literally means God was the Word. It doesn't make sense to put an article in front of that. Now, we translate it because the the predicate describes the Word, and we say the the, the Word was God. Now, I don't expect you to be Greek scholars when Jehovah's Witnesses want to show up at your door and argue that, but there's plenty of passages throughout the book of John that declare Jesus' deity just John chapter 5, verse 18 is is the it, to me is the one that just so clear. For for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Why were the Jews, why the Jews trying to kill him? Right? They 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 killed him because they believed he was blasphemous. As he was claiming to be God. Jesus is deity, He's the incarnation, He's the exact representation of his nature. By the way, this is the earliest and the, sorry, this is the clearest declaration that Jesus is God in any gospel. The Word was God. Leon Morris says, nothing higher can be said. All that may be said about God is fitly said about the Word. Even Thomas, at the end of the book, in John chapter 20, verse 28, he looks at Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. Now, there are those in this world we live in that deny this fact. Mormons, for example, they deny that that they believe that actually the God of Scripture, God the Father, is actually a created being, and He was created by another God, just as Jesus is a created being. They believe that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. They believe that God has a, a perfectly fleshly body and that all mankind we have the potential... To be little gods ourselves and rule our own planets. The false church of Latter-day Saints was created, by the way, by Joseph Smith in 1830. Joseph's witnesses believe that God is one being. His name is Jehovah. They believe that Jesus was his first creation. They believe Jesus is higher than the angels but He's inferior to God, and that's why they would say He's preexistent. They say the Holy Spirit is merely merely, merely a power. The JWs were created by Charles Russell in 1879. These Jehovah's false witnesses. Christian science. They believe that the Trinity is life, truth, and love, and it's an impersonable force but only God truly exists. All matter in this universe is merely an illusion. They believe Jesus is the Messiah, and they would say, Yes, He's the Messiah, but they don't believe He's God. The Holy Spirit is merely their divine science in the science that the teachings that is Christian science. And it was created by Mary Baker Eddy in 1879. So remember, it's not Christian and it's not science. Then you have the Christadelphians, which I've been introduced to here in Australia. I didn't find much of these guys here where I, where I grew up in the States. But Christadelphians, they're modalists. They believe that God is one entity, He's fully human, and He's not God. When they speak about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a power, and He just changes forms. A oneness Pentecostal are also modalists, that God changes forms. but Christadelphians were created by Dr. John Thomas in 1864. By the way, Christadelphian means brethren in Christ, and these Christadelphians, they're not our brethren and they're not in Christ. See, John wants it to be crystal clear, crystal clear. The Word was with God, the Word was in the beginning with God, and the Word was God. Jesus deals, or John deals later with Jesus' incarnation, and we'll get to that later on in the prologue here, which is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. See, John intends these verses to be the foundation, the foundation of his gospel. He wants you to read his gospel in light of these words. He wants him to to ruminate, meditate on these. He wants him to go over and over in your head. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, Christ is eternal. He existed and has existed and did exist before time and history. And He's not a created being. He Himself entered history and the incarnation and took on the name Jesus, name that He will have forever. And He did this for us. The Word was also in the presence of God. You see, there's perfect fellowship within the Godhead as only the Son of God and the, and the Holy Spirit and the Father can enjoy. There's perfect fellowship. He was with Him. It was in His face. There's an intimacy there. But Jesus is also the Logos. He's the Word of God. He's the fullness of God's self-revelation to man. He is the mouthpiece of God. He's revealing God's nature and He reveals God's will. So what's the issue for us? The issue for us is that what? We believe. We believe that He is God. If you believe He's God, then the next question is, if you believe that He's God and you believe that He is the perfect representation of God and the perfect revelation of God's will, are you obeying His will? Right. That's a question for us. Do you believe He is, who He says He is, and who He's declared to be? And then are you obeying Him? Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commandments. My commandments are what? Not burdensome. We have His Word. His Word is God's revealed will to us. You can ignore Him, but you ignore Him at your peril. Because if you are stuck in unbelief, the peril is eternal separation from God in and torment and hell. If you ignore his will and you are a believer, God's a father and we are his children and not take lightly the discipline of the Lord. You see too often we act like ancient Israelites, don't we in the church? Right? We we go through the religious motions but we neglect to obey God's will. We've been talking about in Judges how the Israelites forgot God. They forgot the Lord, and forgetting the Lord is what? It's, it's neglect of God's will. It's an ingratitude for His blessings, and it's a prideful self-sufficiency. So my question here, Are you have you forgotten the Lord? Right? Are you obeying His will? Are you showing gratitude for His blessings? Are you submissive? and humble. You see, let us commit, each one of us, to giving Jesus Christ the honor and the glory that He deserves as God. Let's remember, as we study this great book, this great gospel, I want you guys to be comforted and challenged by the fact that Jesus Christ is God. I pray that Christ would be Exalted through our worship here collectively as a body here at New Community Church. But I pray that Christ will be exalted in each and every one of your individual lives as you proclaim that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, just, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for You, Jesus Christ, the eternal Word. Lord, we give you honor. We exalt you as our Lord, our Savior. We echo Thomas' words, my Lord and my God. We thank you for your salvation, for their salvation is found in no other name except for Jesus Christ. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Lord, we seek that you would receive the glory alone. Lord, I pray that we would be challenged this week to to worship you, to respond in worship as we think about who you are and what you've done, that our lives would would celebrate you, celebrate what you've done, not only with our our thoughts and our minds, but also with our actions, that we would submit to your will, that we would not forget you and neglect your will to to be arrogant and presumptuous, self-sufficient. And, be ingrat- and show great ingratitude for your many blessings upon us. Lord, I thank you again for this time. And thank you for those that are here. And my prayer is that you, our Lord Jesus Christ, would be exalted. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.